Genesis chapter 26, Genesis chapter 26, verse 17. Genesis 26, verse 17. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdsmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Essek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of that, of it, excuse me, of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Gracious Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just be, be with me tonight, meet with us. Help me, Lord, as I convey the, the thoughts and the message you laid on my heart. Pray, Lord, that we would learn from your word, learn from this message. Lord, we just pray that you would just meet with us in a special way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, hold on a minute. I've got to adjust my hearing aid. I don't know what it is. As soon as I get to the platform, let me just turn them off. I don't need to hear you. Y'all need, y'all need to hear me. Um, some, for some reason, as soon as I hit the platform, my hearing aids, I sound like I'm, I mean, it's like a barrel in here anyway when you appear, but it's worse when you got hearing aids, so <coughs> bear with me. But Isaac, he departed from the presence of um, Amalek and he went to Gerar and they dug some wells. And he called these wells after the name that Abraham, his father, had called them. He called the first well that they dug um, Essek because they strove for it. The herdsman said, is it our, our, excuse me, ours? My southern accent gets in the way, so y'all bear, bear with me. But they called the first well uh, Essek, which means to strive. Uh, or contention. Uh, so he went and he dug another well and he called it Sitna, uh, which means enmity. There was enmity between him and the herdsmen. And then he went and th- uh, dug a third well and they didn't strive for that well and he called it Rehoboth, for the Lord had now made uh, room for them in the land. But he called them after the name that his father Abraham called them. He didn't change the name of the whales because, well, they're old-fashioned. He didn't change the name of the whales because, well, the term's archaic. He didn't change the name of the whales because, well, somebody might be offensive if we lose, use these names. And there's things in our country 
since I can remember back in the 80s, into the 80s, that we've allowed the name to be changed. We've changed the name of church to assembly and ministry. We've changed preaching and worship into social doctrines and entertainment. We've changed the Bible into us to psychology and intellect. We've changed drunkenness and drug addiction into a disease. We've changed uh, abortion and now gender into a choice. And we have changed personal identity into pronouns. We have changed things and with the change of the name become, comes a change in the meaning. So this has happened in our culture because our culture wants to change the names so that they are not offended or to fit their agenda. And one of the names, one of the things we've changed the definition to, whether we know it or not, or whether you realize it or not, we've we changed the definition of sin in our country. And that's what I want to look at, at tonight. Our culture, culture and our churches as a whole have redefined sin along cultural norms to the point that many no longer know what the Bible definition of sin is because somewhere along the line it stopped being taught. I mean, I look at, I look at people, I'm not going to door and you try to talk to them about sin. Well, you know, you know, you need to be saved. You need a Christ to save you from your sin. I don't sin. And you try to show them what sin is and I don't sin, I don't see it. You take bus kids, you try to deal with them about salvation. They raise their hand, you take them back there and you try to deal with them about sin. And, and yeah, well, they know the term, they know, what, they know that sin is bad, but they don't know what sin is. It's never been defined to them because we as a church, churches as a whole have um, changed the definition, have not been teaching what sin is. I'm not saying this church, but I know that, by, that churches as a whole in our nation, they're not teaching what sin is. Now they're taking part in the change of definition the change in definition of gender, the change of definition of, uh, of identity. They want to change the name. So I have a message tonight. That was all introduction. So I have a message tonight. Call it what it is. Call it what it is. Number one, the Bible definition of sin. 1 John 3, 4. 1 John 3, 4. It tells us in John three, John first John three four that sin is the transgression of the law. It reads, "Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law." For sin is the transgression of the law. So, what is sin? Well, sin is transgression of the law. What law? Well, it's not the law of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. That's not what it's talking about. It's not transgression of that law. It's not transgression of federal, federal law. 
It's not uh, transgression of state law. It's transgression of God's law. <coughs> and the word sin in the Old and New Testament, both, it is translated to miss the mark. So God has a goal, God has a target he wants us to shoot for, but we miss the mark. I hear at the, the men's cookout, we're trying to shoot a bow. I don't think anybody hit the, they hit the target. Did anybody hit the circles? You hit the circles, you're on it. You didn't miss the mark. But everybody else, we kept shooting around it, shooting in the woods, shooting under it. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty pathetic to watch. But, uh, I mean, uh, I, I couldn't hit anything. I, I was out there with them. I couldn't even hit the target. I got close, but that don't count. But anyway, so uh, God has a target that he wants you to shoot for. And he said, I've got holiness up here. And holiness is a bullseye, but you keep missing the mark. And because you miss the mark, it is sin. It is sin. We miss the mark. We miss the goal that God has for us. Because the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we miss the mark. There's times when we miss the mark of what God wants for us. And we disobey his word. And it is sin. Webster's 1828 uh, dictionary definition is lengthy, so bear with me. This is what sin is. The voluntary departure of a moral agent from a known rule of conduct or behavior or thought or duty prescribed by God, any voluntary transgression of the divine law or violation of a divine command, a wicked act, iniquity. Sin is either a positive act in which a known divine law is violated or, the, or it is the voluntary neglect to obey a positive divine command are a rule of duty clearly implied in such a command. Sin comprehends not action only, but, um, but neglect of known duty, all evil thoughts, purposes, words, desires, whatever is contrary to God's commands or law. That pretty much covers it. That pretty much covers everything. There's, there's commandments God say, don't do this, and we do them. It is sin. God says, do this, and we don't do it. It's sin. Um, some more terms used in the Bible. Transgression, we looked at that, means to trespass, to go beyond the bounds, to step over the line. When we sin, we step over the line. God draws a line and says, don't do that. A moral command, do not do this because it is sin. And when we cross the line, we commit a trespass. We commit a transgression. We all know what, we all know what trespass means. We go somewhere we're not supposed to go. 
An offense, what is an offense? It's a cause of stumbling or a fault. How about this? Rebellion, a resistance to lawful authority, obstinate disobedience to have a stick neck, stiff neck against God. And we've seen that in our country. We've seen resistance to lawful authority still today. We've seen and still see the obstinate disobedience, the breaking of our criminal laws. And the recourse is, well, you know, they're because of their social status, because of the economics that we make an excuse for sin, even in our culture, because we don't remember, we don't know what the Bible definition is. So what's the problem? I see the problem as threefold. We have a generation of people like we just discussed, that don't have the right view of sin. It's hard to knock on a door and, and talk to people about their sin when they don't see their sin. <coughs> it's hard to talk to people uh, on, uh, knocking on knocking on doors and trying to tell them uh, that you know alcohol, drinking alcohol is a sin when our society says it's a disease. The only uh, one of the one of the diseases one of the one of the one of the few sins that you have to willingly go out and purchase on a shelf to get it, they say it's a disease, so to get this disease, you have to go and purchase this disease, you know, just like Adam and Micah had pneumonia. Well, I think I'll go pick up me some ammonia today at Walmart and, uh, and catch pneumonia. And we laugh because that's absurd. And uh, there's some terrible diseases that come with drugs. There's some terrible diseases that come from alcohol. There's some ter uh, terrible diseases that come with immorality, sexual immorality. But that's not the cause. The cause is the sin. The cause is the immorality. The cause is the drinking of the alcohol, the, doing, the, drink, uh, the taking of the drugs. Isaiah says, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, and put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. I was reading an article. I read the headline. I didn't read the article. I was the the the, the headline was enough. But they're actually I forgot what stated in. But they're actually are proposing a bill that will clearly define what a man and a woman is. We have lost our mind. I, I remember when in the 80s, in the 80s, because I thought this was funny in the 80s. I thought this was funny that they had a 10-year study, $10 million, 10 years, to prove that men and women were actually different. I would like to find that study and say, here, I think you'll need to read this. I mean, if you want to know what a man and a woman is, all you have to do is go to Genesis. Man and a woman. That's all he made. And the reason there's so much confusion with our, our generations, and especially our young people, the reason there's so much confusion, now some of them, I will grant that this is a fad, 
And so for some people, they say this is a fad. It's popular to say I'm trans. It's become popular just like wearing bell bottoms in the 70s. I, don't, I never did that, I don't think. But, uh, but uh, I, I'd have to get a time machine. But, uh, but it's a fad. But for most of them, it's confusion because they're taught confusion in the schools. They're taught confusion at home where the parents don't see anything wrong with it. And if you're going to teach the definition of sin, of sin, it's going to have to be taught in the home because a school, it's not their responsibility. Now, I know that, you know, used to, they had the Ten Commandments in the schools. They had prayer in the schools. When I went to school, uh, if there was a church nearby, that was having church meetings and you had study hall during that time period and you had somebody to drive you there, you could go to revival meetings in the morning. Did it many a time. I remember in, in, in my school that they actually brought an evangelist in once or twice a week during revival meetings and he would preach to the students. Students would get saved and the parents were happy about it. Do it now. Lawsuit, and this is not really on topic with my, with my message, but this idea of division of church and state is of the devil. We're supposed to keep the state out of church, but not keep the church out of politics. So we have a generation that has changed they, they just, they, and they just don't know what sin is. They don't know what the proper definition is because the wrong people have taught them. Number two, I think the problem is is because of apathy. No interest. That goes along with, with, the, with the idea of uh, that uh, our churches, you know, they've become apathetic. They bought into that lie. Well, the church has to, you know, we can have church, but we can't get involved in politics. We can't get involved in trying to change our culture. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Granted, it starts at home, and the church support, should support that, <coughs> but apathy. Why I'm at it? If you had, if there's three sermons, I think, that are, must, that are a must hear. There's probably more I could add to my list, but I'm, here's my top three. Larry Brown's Amnon Had a Friend. If you haven't heard that sermon, find somebody who's got a copy. You need to hear it. The Storm is Coming by Rick Dawson. He's de dead and in heaven now, but uh, the storm's coming. And he, he preached that message. I'm not going to preach it. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about, but it was a... We listened to, I got the recording, we listened to it here recently, and yeah, the storm is coming. Are we listening? Are we listening? Are we paying attention to what's around us? Are we, do we see the signs of the storm coming so we can be ready, so we can be prepared? And uh, Brother Ross's sermon, The Sin of Apathy. The Sin of Apathy. We're apathetic. I mean, it's normal for us to like, well, that's just the world today. I mean, it's normal. I, I catch myself doing it. Well, that's just the way things are. What's happened? 
we've become apathetic. If you remember 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verse uh, 21, uh, Elijah, Elijah is up there on the mountain. He's called the, he told Ahab to bring the children of Israel, the 400 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of the groves. So they were going to figure it out who was God. And what was it he asked, told them, he said, if God be God, serve him. But if Baal be God, serve him. And it said the people answered him, not a word. There's another aspect of that story that makes me think. If you read in 1 Kings 19, 18, God tells Elijah, because Elijah, he's on the run. I don't think he was on the run because he had been threatened by Jezebel that she was going to kill him. I don't think that's why he was on the run. I think he was on the run because he was up there on that mountain, 450 no, excuse me, 850 prophets and the children of Israel and they were just standing around to see what was going to happen. They were waiting for somebody to make a move one way or another. They were apathetic. And he felt, I believe that he felt like he was so alone. You ever get that way? I know better if Pastor, if Pastor, if Pastor Harvey was here, I, I worked with Pastor Harvey for, for a while in the ministry and and sometimes, you know, you in the ministry, it gets lonely. He would tell you, yeah, there's been times when I feel like, you know, I'm out here all by myself. Pastor Spurback guarantee he looks around and says, Where, where's everybody else at? Not, not, not y'all, but where's all the other churches? Where are they at? And you feel like you're standing alone. But in 1 Kings 19, 18, he, uh, God tells Elijah this, Yet have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knee which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Where were they at? Where were they at? I mean, surely they heard that, hey, Ahab's gathering all the children of Israel up there, and they're getting all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove, and they're going to go up there with Elijah, and they're going to have it out. Where were they at? They were being hid away. But surely, surely out of 7,000, a one would have said, you know, I think I'm going to go up there and give Elijah a hand. Maybe, maybe if one went, two would go. I mean, can you imagine you got all these people up here and all of a sudden you have 7,000 people come up here and they say, Elijah, we're going to stand with you. That can make a difference. Our problem is is we want to do what's right as a church, but we feel like there's no one else to stand with us. And we look at our city, forget the country, that's just a, a bigger scale of what's going on here in our city. And things going on in our city, legalizing marijuana, or, or agreeing not to enforce the law, and stuff like that right there. Where did everybody else go? Where did everybody else go? Harker Heights said, no, we're not doing it. And the people that came to start the trouble were outsiders. That's neither here nor now. But it's always seemed like it's people from the outside wanting to come stir things up. 
when there's not a problem, let's create one. That's a teenage motto, I think, too. If there's not a problem, let's create one. Maybe not. <coughs> but apathy, apathy. We, we just want, hey, you know, well, let's see what happens. Number three, and I've already mentioned this, we have bought into the lie that Christians are to be seen and not heard. They don't want to hear us. They don't want to hear about the Bible. As soon as you bring up God and the Bible, they start crying, church of state. They start saying, well, you're being mean. You're being offensive. You're being a homophobe or a xenophobe or whatever. But we need to take a stand. We need to call it what it is. We need to call it what it is. I remember years I kept trying to tell my uncle he should stop drinking. For years I tried to warn him. I told him he needed to get that right with God. He had made a profession of faith as a, as a young man earlier in life, but he got around the wrong crowd. And that's Larry Brown's sermon. Who are your friends? He got around the wrong friends, wrong people. Become an alcoholic. Then one day found out his liver was failing. He died with liver cancer. At least somebody warned him. I remember talking to him before he died. Uncle Preston, you need to get that right. You need to take care of that with God. He says, man, God's already had a talk. Of man, God's already got that settled. So he got everything settled Then, but he had to pay the consequences. He had to pay the consequences. And I guess that's really the crux of the problem. Nobody wants to say, hey, if I admit there's sin, if I admit the Bible definition of sin, I do not want to have to have consequences. I'm going to give this illustration. I got a little heated. Uh, couple of weeks ago because I had been watching this station, this inspection station, and, and I knew they were crooked, and I finally called them, finally called them, I wrote them up, and all they did was pay a little fine, we'll reinstate you. Should have been worse than that. There's no consequences. I mean, you do almost anything, and there's no consequences. So what is the solution? Brother Glenn mentioned Sunday night prayer, prayer for our country, prayer for our families, prayer for our church. We see what prayer does. If you've been around here at all any length of time last year, you know what prayer can do. With the bus and with the platform and with the other funds we had to raise and, and pastor up are now raising money and somebody so impressed, the Lord impressed upon them to give $1,000 to help toward the Warriors Light Ministry to get those Bibles. 
I'm, I'm not worried about the money coming in. I believe God's going to do it. I'm not worried about it. I remember when the bus, I was worried about that. I don't see that happening. We may have to settle for something else and put the vans. We just got through cleaning them. Pastor put them on the internet. Before he got home, he already had people wanting to buy them. Had them sold that night. More than what he was asking for. So, or more than we anticipated, let me put it that way. <coughs> so what's the solution? Ecclesiastes 12, 13 is a good place to start. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this past Sunday. God's looking, God's watching. He watched Israel, He watched the kings, He knew exactly what was going on. And he did not, he, he, he was long-suffering, but it came a time he saw that this was just going to be a continual process after 20 kings. They did evil, they did evil, they did evil. He says, okay, I think I'm going to put a stop to it. And he did. Proverbs 3, 7 says, be wise, be not wise in your own eyes. And that's the problem with us today. Man thinks he's so wise. We think we're so smart. And uh, we, create, we create viruses we don't know how to cure. We quit, create problems we don't know how to fix because we're wise in our own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That depart means that, okay, well, I'm sitting here and depart just rounded the corner, walked up the stairs. Well, that's time for me to go, time to depart. Depart. The problem is sometimes we don't depart. We just kind of sit there and see what's going to happen. And that usually don't turn, turn out too well. But depart from evil. Romans 12, 9, let love be without dissimulation. It means don't let your love be fake. Don't be, let it be condi conditional. You know, if you would just give me more things or whatever, I'd love you more. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. How many, when it's cold, you get that pillow and you, you get the pillow and you shrivel up and you got the covers and you want to squeeze that pillow so you can stay warm? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you're married and you like to cleave to your wife. You like to hug your wife and hold her tight. That's what the idea of cleave means. It means you hold on to them with no intention of letting go. You cleave. James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And Brother 
uh, Glenn read this verse last uh, Sunday night. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You believe it's going to be answered. We pray, Lord, we just thank you for this day and we uh, thank you and hope you just help us and help us to do good today. Amen. Shallow prayers. I think we're all guilty of that at times. But we also need to get into the Bible and find out what the Bible definition of sin is. There's some things in the Bible that are sin that maybe we need to search those out and be refreshed with those things. What the Bible says about uh, uh, nudity, what the Bible says uh, about drinking, what the Bible says about uh, premarital sex, extramarital sex, what it says so we know what sin is and we can define it because this is what God's word says, not what Scott Hallman says, not what Tabernacle Baptist Church says, but this is what God says. And we need to warn people about what God says about their sin.